You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Today on the show, our crossover series presses forward with the Minnesota Vikings the biggest threat to the Packers in the NFC North in 2020, in my opinion, although I think the Bears are not that far behind if Nick Foles can play 16 games. That is, of course, a pretty big caveat considering his career trajectory. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. If you missed yesterday's discussion, the Packers-centric podcast Like, this isn't one of those every single day. But no, I think it's important because those guys are providing you some insight from the outside. I am providing it from the inside. And sometimes it can be difficult to see the forest for the trees. And they are able to do that with a little bit more clarity because they're they're looking at it from an outsider's perspective. And they're certainly looking at it from a, they're a threat to the team that I cover perspective and I, I think that that is something you know I, I can I can speak for myself I, I certainly think that I have a better knowledge of the Bears Lions and Vikings than any other team not named Green Bay because the Packers play them twice a year and I think about how the Packers match up with the Vikings or the Bears more than any other team I think about those matchups and of, you know we spent much of last year at least last offseason, thinking about, okay, how do the Bears match up with the Packers? Can the Packers beat the Bears? Can they catch Chicago, who has this, you know, this Wunderkind coach, and they trade for Khalil Mack, and they've got Eddie Jackson and Allen Robinson and, and all of these players. Can the Packers match that? Well, we found the answer to that. So I, I think a lot has gone on in the offseason. I don't think that that is true. And so this discussion is going to be particularly fun because there's a lot of turnover in Minnesota, a lot of turmoil in Minnesota, and that makes for interesting discussion. We'll get to all of that a little bit later in the show. We've spent a lot of time on these ESPN lists, and rightfully so, this is important information from around the league. These are NFL executives and coaches offering their opinions. Another one of these ESPN lists comes out with a Packers snub. Zadarius Smith, hashtag snubbed, on the the top pass rusher list. The top edge rusher list. Didn't even make the top 10. Neither did Daniel Hunter, by the way. And neither of those make any sense to me. The, The problem is something that 
has been going on in Green Bay really for 20-plus years. Great quarterback play overshadows everything else. And it is also a double-edged sword. When you have great players, when you have Brett Favre, when you have Aaron Rodgers, and you have really good teams, and you play a lot of primetime games, there are a lot of eyeballs on you. And so there are going to be players on your team who are overrated because everyone gets to see them all the time. Julian Edelman, great example. Really overrated player because of what he has done in the playoffs, what he has done on some national televised games, and what he has done with Tom Brady because he played on the Patriots, because he played in these big moments. Patriots didn't have anyone else in a lot of these games. And in in some of the games where he was great, uh, they, they did, and that made it easier for him. In general, he's not a true number one. I mean, Brett Favre played with five, six receivers who are better than Julian Edelman, and yet we're sitting here talking about is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer because he has some signature moments in big games. We have this bias toward what is right in front of us, forgetting about the six weeks in the middle of the season where Julian Edelman has four combined catches because it's the Patriots and they don't need him or anyone, really, to be successful. So there have been players over the years that have played in Green Bay who have been overrated. Certainly some of the pass catchers have been overrated. But at the same time, there have been so many players who have been overshadowed by the greatness of the quarterbacks. And this is, of course, going back to Brett Favre. Leroy Butler is someone who absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame, who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame over a number of players who have already been in, including safeties who have already gotten in. And Butler is overshadowed because he played on teams that were ostensibly driven by the greatness of Brett Favre. And obviously, Brett Favre was a big part of the success of those teams. Arguably the biggest part. Probably the biggest part. But, you know, in 96, that's one of the all-time great teams. Number one in offense, number one in defense. Reggie White is on that team. Leroy Butler is on that team. Eugene Robinson, they have a great secondary with Doug Newsom and and Craig Evans and Gilbert Brown and Santana Dotson, Sean Jones, the legendary Fritz Shermer is the coordinator. Mike Holmgren is the coach. Those guys don't get the credit that they deserve. And even in, in the middle parts of Brett Favre's career, where is the love for Al Harris? who was one of the most consistent, one of the most feisty, one of the one of the biggest dogs that we have ever had at the cornerback position. That guy, he fought every play, every snap, like it was the last snap he would ever play. And he didn't get the recognition in his time that he deserved. And and that is true of a lot of players who have played with Aaron Rodgers as well. And, you know, in some ways I understand it. Zedarius Smith, a one-year player, you know, breakout season. You say, okay, well, he's got to keep proving it. And so, all right, he he's kept off these lists. Devontae Adams, CBS Sports, tweeted this out uh, last week. The list of receivers since 2016 who have 4,000 receiving yards and 40 touchdowns since 2016. The list is Devontae Adams. That's it. That is the full list 
Okay? Devontae Adams. That's it. And there's a there's a very similar number for Aaron Jones since 2017. The list of running backs who have scored 30 touchdowns and average over five yards a carry. It's Aaron Jones. That is it. And you heard Alan Lazard, if you listen to the Adam Lefko podcast, say that Devontae Adams doesn't get credit for stuff that Aaron Rodgers gets credit for because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. And of course, that is not fair to Devontae Adams. And, and it's not that Rodgers would demand credit for something that he is not owed credit for. Rodgers wants to promote his guys. He, is, he was someone who always talked about wanting to get his guys re-signed. He was someone who campaigned hard to get James Jones brought back and has advocated for players that he felt like should be brought back because he supported and, and wanted their contributions noted. You know, we talked about on this show the fact that he mentioned Equinemius St. Brown and the training camp that he was having last summer. He wants the guys who put in the work to be recognized for the work that they put in. He is a huge fan of Aaron Jones and has been from the jump. That is worth noting. And it has mattered, by the way, to Aaron Jones that Rodgers has supported him. He's told the story a hundred times about what that has meant. And that that Rodgers in the huddle told Jones that he was a big fan of his and basically go out and prove me right. And Aaron Rodgers has been a fan of Devontae Adams really from the jump. And has been someone who has championed Adams along the way. Rodgers has championed Zadarius and Preston Smith. Has championed Matt LaFleur. And yet, these guys do not get the credit that they have rightfully earned because the shadow of the quarterback looms so large. And I hope that I'm able to articulate this in a way that doesn't make me sound like a homer because, I mean, I just gave you the stats and and the Zadarius Smith stats speak for themselves. He was by a number of different metrics if not the best, one of the three best pass rushers in football last year, full stop. So why is he not receiving the recognition that he deserves? Why did the Pro Bowl voters not recognize him? Why did the All-Pro voters not recognize him? Why did the Defensive Player of the Year voters not recognize him? Not that he deserved to win the award, but he deserved to get votes. And he did not get votes commensurate with the season that he had. And there have been times when players with these these famous quarterbacks get overrated. Of course, Clay Matthews at the end there was a little overrated because he'd become famous on really good teams. And, and this is a thing that happens all the time. That's the opposite of what's happening right now. These other players, it's, oh, Aaron Rodgers is the, is the reason for everything. And so these guys don't get, they're, they're just due. And of course, as we've talked about on this show a number of different times, what's funny is there are this group of people trying to undercut Aaron Rodgers to say, okay, he's lost a step. He's not the guy he used to be anymore. And he's he's not the, the straw that stirs the drink. And at the same time saying, oh, they're overrated. These guys aren't very good. Well, something happened 
They won 13 games last year. Why did they do that? Well, the running game was top five. Aaron Jones was one of the best offensive players in football. Devontae Adams, if you look at all the advanced numbers, yards per route run, pro football focus grade, and, and some of the, the per snap metrics, he was really, really good. Zedarius Smith, the best pressure rate in football and led the league in pressures. Kenny Clark led the league in pressures, interior pressures, outside of Aaron Donald. All of these guys, pass block win rate, all of these offensive linemen, and yet they're not being recognized because of a quarterback who overshadows their contributions. And so because I don't think that's fair, and because I don't think, frankly, the quarterback would want that to be the case, it's important that we talk about these things because... Even if I'm going to be accused of being a homer, that's fine, whatever. I stand by my analysis, and as I've said on this show about a million times, I'd rather be right than defend the team. I'd rather be right. You listen to me because you think I'm right when I say stuff, and I'm wrong plenty. But I say what I think is right, not what I think benefits Green Bay, not what I think what benefits Cheesehead Nation, not what I think you want to hear. I think I'm right when I say this stuff. Of course, I'm not always right. Don't don't ever tell my wife I said that. And these guys deserve more recognition than they're getting. That is just the truth. Okay, everybody. I am here with all of my NFC North compadres. I've got Matt Derry of Locked on Lions, Lauren Cox of Locked on Bears, and Peter Bukowski of Locked on Packers here on the ultimate NFC North division crossover. And today we are talking about our beloved weird misfit Vikings. Uh, and the since we last talked in February, the Vikings have had a little bit of a tumultuous offseason, right? The Diggs trade happened. They got a ton of capital back from the Bills, but they lost arguably their best offensive player. The draft, they drafted 15 players. It's a record in the uh, seven-round era, including Justin Jefferson, who figures to be the kind of Stefan Diggs replacement, though he's like more of a slot guy and it's going to look a lot different. And now you have Dalvin Cook holding out. So I guess... In the world of all of this chaos, and I guess I'll just open it up to, uh, to whoever wants to take it first, in the world of all of this chaos, do you, any of you think the Vikings got better or stay the same, or did they probably get worse? And we'll start, I guess, I, I guess it's pretty clear that they got worse in the short term. So let's talk about like long-term implications here, because I think, you know, replacing Stefan Diggs with a rookie is going to be the most... Uh, like impactful decision that obviously makes you worse, but like long-term, do you think it's all been worth it? Well, I'll, I'll start on this one because I will say um, in front of God and everybody and Lucas that um, the, the Vikings had the draft I wanted the Packers to have. And it, that is not easy for me to say out loud, but it is true. And uh, I do think that, that they added considerable talent. I think the problem for them is going to be in 2020 in any, in any season, bringing in and assimilating that much talent rookie-wise is going to be difficult, and, and banking on all of those guys to be useful for you in a season is going to be tough. Now add in the fact that we had no real offseason, that there were no OTAs, and that everything looked a little bit different. We're going to have limited reps in training camp, limited preseason, and now they have to go out and, and do the thing. And it's at, at premium positions. I, mean, I think Justin Jefferson is awesome. Is he going to be Stephon Diggs in 2020? Hell no. So while I think they replenished their talent level, if we just look talent for talent, I think they're 
if not just as talented, pretty close. But as a team, are they as good as a, a team in 2020? I think as a team, they've fallen off in a considerable way based on what I think they're going to be this season. It's funny you said that about the draft because the Packers actually had the exact draft I wanted the Packers to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think as I look at this Vikings roster, you know, I agree about the short term. It's hard to make too many strong arguments for improvement there. But, you know, one of the ways I like to look at it is through the, I don't know if you guys use the depth charts on ourlads.com that can kind of have everything. Oh, oh all the time. They're, they're, they're a must-use. But what, what particularly stands out to me is, is when I look at a team like the Vikings, what, next to every player's name they have, like when they were drafted or how they were acquired. And you see a lot of recent draft picks at key positions, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of recent early draft picks in the starting lineups, you know, starting rookie at wide receiver and, and cornerback, first-round picks at uh, – also other first-round picks at cornerback and safety, linebacker in the offensive line, running back – or I guess Dalvin Cook running back second round. But a lot of first, second, and third-round picks within the last four to five years all in this starting lineup. So they might not all be guys that are right at their prime and at their peak just yet, but it seems like there's a lot of ascending talent players here. And whether that means they're ready to be great in 2020 is – you know it varies by position, but it does seem like there is a foundation – on this Vikings team that has been built through the draft and they're sort of doing this transition. That's my perspective from the outside that like they're transitioning, not, not in a rebuild, but in sort of a rebuild on the fly where they were a veteran team with, with Kirk cousins and everything else going on. And now they're, they're slowly phasing out some of the older expensive players for some younger recent draft picks. And you see a talent drop off as a result, but maybe over time it can start to build back up and have that more solid team building foundation. Yeah, there are 16 defensive backs on our lads, and four of them were on the team 2018 or earlier. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's funny, too, because I, I know I host the Lions show, but I, I seem to always be uh, uh, you know, perking up the Vikings a little bit, and I, I do like what they have. And um, I think Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer, it just, it's the kind of one-two punch GM coach that the Lions have been searching for for a long time. And now you're, you're talking about Detroit going into year five of, of Bob Quinn and year three of Matt Patricia, but it's the depth. Um, it's, it's the replacing guys, like you said. Uh, Stephon Diggs goes uh, next man up, and they've drafted a couple of wide receivers, and obviously Justin Jefferson being uh, the guy that they're going to rely upon. Um, and that's what kind of was the head scratcher with the Packers draft. But with that being said, Green Bay started to develop some guys. The Lions are trying to do that same type of thing. But I like the Vikings' identity. I, you know, we could argue about the, the best player on their team. We are talking about them losing their best weapon. To me, Dalvin Cook is is a beast. And I, and I know that we've gotten away from running the football in the NFL now, but, but he's just a classic, classic back that can get you – uh, you know, the stuff out of the backfield in the passing game, but obviously between the tackles. My biggest concern, it seems like it's like this every year, is their offensive line. And, and if Cousins will be upright for the entire season uh, this coming year. Um, and certainly he was under a lot of duress in that, in that playoff game last year. Definitely. I'm sure running it back with Pat Alfine will be fine. <laughs> they might not do that. They might, they might kick Riley Reef inside and have uh, the rookie start on the outside or some configuration there, but it'll be harder to figure that out with no, uh, no training camp or no like preseason and stuff. Um, I, I have a question for Peter though, because last year 
the Packers just whooped the Vikings on both of their occasions. I mean, the Vikings almost made a comeback in Lambeau, but that was, uh, it was like a 21 of that, that first quarter was insane. And a lot of that laid the, bru- the blueprint for how San Francisco ended up whooping the Vikings in the playoffs and ending the season. And I think maybe the worst mistake the Vikings made from a coaching perspective was game planning poorly for the Packers and not being able to figure out that Packers defense. So I guess, do you think the Vikings are going to be capable of figuring out the Packers defense now that they've seen them twice, or is it going to be too different too too much of the same personnel or worse personnel? Um, but do you think that like the Vikings coaching staff with Gary Kubiak uh, and all those guys are, going to be able to like figure out how to stop somebody like Zadarius Smith from getting like nine sacks or whatever happened in that Monday night game. <laughs> well, I think the advantage the Packers have is Matt LaFleur um, cut his teeth under Gary Kubiak. And so if, if anyone can, can help Mike Patton say, okay, how are, how is someone from this kind of offense going to attack my defense? You have Matt LaFleur who, has literally helped Gary Kubiak game plan against a defense like Mike Patton's. So that, that advantage I think is real. Um, you, you would think that it would work the other way around for the Vikings. Um, and, and it's not like the Packers offense ran roughshod over the Vikings last year. They certainly did. And I mean, early in the, the first quarter, um, you know, the, the, the Green Bay offense was really humming. And then uh, as, as Aaron Rodgers said after the game, Mike Zimmer happened. And it was, it was really no contest the rest of the way. The Vikings won that game for three quarters. It just so happened that they lost the first quarter so badly it didn't matter. And I don't see how with worse receivers and, you know, if they do kick Reef inside, unless Ezra Cleveland is ready to go right away with potentially a worst offensive line, that they're able to do anything differently against a team that I think matches up with them really well. The Packers pass rush matches up with most teams really well. They were a top five team in, in pressure rate. And Zadarius Smith, as you said, ate them alive. It was the case in the first game as well. I mean, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Kenny Clark, their ability to assert themselves in these games is, is really unique in the NFL. And, and I don't see how the Vikings have solved that. The one thing I will say, though, is Kirk Cousins has tended to have his best games against Green Bay. It, it happened in 2018. Um, I actually thought that there were, you know, some, some times in the second half in particular in, in the week two game that, that, that Cousins made some great throws. And obviously there was that offensive pass interference in the first half that Viking fans were really mad about that took away a touchdown that, that really would have changed that game. I think the fact that Cousins has played well against Green Bay, not just in Minnesota, but in Washington as well, um, would, be the, would be the difference, not their ability to manage you know, the defense. If Cousins just gets you know, white hot and all of a sudden Justin Jefferson is out there and, and he's making Kevin King look silly, then yeah, I mean, then you solve the defense that way. So I want to move it to Lauren now uh, because the Vikings haven't beaten the Bears in two years. And it's like this huge bug. It's been a bugaboo for like a decade in Minnesota is that soldier field game. So do you think, is there anything uh, like if, if you were Mike Zimmer and you were, or you were on Mike Zimmer's staff and you were tasked with, Hey, all right, we're done losing to the freaking bears. And your whole job was to figure <laughs> out how to beat the bears. How would you approach that with the Vikings roster? 
Well, for starters, I, I wouldn't play my backups in week 17. I and mean, that's part of this part of why they lost. <laughs> John Mannion almost beat Mitch Trubisky. It was a 21 19 final, and that one was a late comeback for those that don't remember. So it was not as though the Bears were the drastically better team the last season. I mean, the Vikings finished with a better record. I mean, they were, you know, obviously ahead, but the Bears just happened to win both of them in, in somewhat surprising fashions with, with Chase Daniel in the first one. That was the game Mitch Trubisky got hurt. So, it, to me, it just feels like if I'm the Vikings, like eventually the flukes are going to stop, right? I mean, eventually normal think. <laughs> should kick in. Yeah, it should just sort of even itself out. And the team that has been better, the Vikings, should start winning those games. So, you know, in, in terms of specifically – You can't been, stop Chase Daniel. You can only hope to contain him. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's, it's like, that was the worst game of the Vikings season. Stefan oh. Diggs almost demanded a trade because of that game. It was, it was just bad. And you know, the Bears weren't even that good in either of those games. And they, and they won. But it, it'll, it'll depend on who is at quarterback, whether it's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, because each one will have some different strengths and weaknesses to apply to. But I think with both of them, anytime you can just put the game on their shoulders and make them have to win it for you. I mean, this is a Bears team that can't necessarily win because of its quarterback, but can win with its quarterback. And that's going to be the formula, I think, for every team trying to beat them this year. Yeah, and especially trying to figure out a better way to game plan for Khalil Mack, because I think the Vikings have done really poorly about that in the last couple of years. Um, So, Matt, I guess I will echo kind of the same question of uh, that, that Peter did yesterday with the, the Packers because the Lions obviously like they kind of fell by the wayside in 2019, but they are capable of putting together like, you know, every once in a while, a 10 and six kind of be competitive season. And of course they're capable of stealing one against any of these teams, even in their worst years. So I guess what are we, what kind of Lions Vikings matchup are we looking at this time? I know that you've talked every time we do crossover Wednesday, you talk a lot about Kyle Rudolph, but he's getting up there and now it's going to be maybe the Herb Smith show. Is that something that maybe feels better or is Herb Smith just as much of a problem? Do the Lions have the tools to keep up in a Lions Vikings matchup in a way that they couldn't in 2019? Well, that, that's been the biggest thing. Uh, Lucas is, is number one, keeping Matthew Stafford upright against the Vikings. They've just, Daniel Hunter's just been a, and Daniel Hunter kills everybody, but he especially hurts the Lions. Everson Griffin being gone is, is interesting because he was a Lion killer as well. But that, that would be number one is just how the Lions failed to protect their quarterback when they play the Vikings. And number two would be, like you said, the, the, the covering of the tight end, uh, um, you know, the Rudolph Smith, Thing would still bother me to this day because I still feel like the Lions are relying too much on Jared Davis to have to cover a tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. Now, the addition of Jamie Collins, I don't know if he's going to be an edge guy. I don't know if he's going to be kind of a Swiss Army knife all over the field. Maybe he does some of the coverage of the tight ends, but that's just been a spot where the Lions have not been able to neutralize what the Vikings have done against them. So uh, I feel a little bit better about it. The Lions O-line should be interesting now. We'll talk about it in a couple of days, but um, that, that's, that's still, it's still a concern. I'm not sitting here today saying, oh yeah, they've short up right tackle. So, or, or, or their interior, their old line is definitely going to stop what Minnesota brings when, when it comes to pressure. And same goes with the, with the issues that the Lions have had for years covering the Vikings tight ends in that play action game. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent, uh, doing a 180 here saying it, it's going to be fixed for 2020 just yet. 
All right. So that's going to do it for this ultimate division crossover, the Vikings edition. Tomorrow, we're going to step in and talk about the Bears and Mitch Trubisky and the Nick who shall not be named. So I will see you all then. All right. We're going to get to our Bears crossover tomorrow and finish up with the Lions, who had one of the saddest tweets I've ever seen the other day where they were like, uh... No one wants to be our rivals. Nobody wants to play with me. No one uh, no one even cares enough about us to want to be our rivals. No. No. Why? Oh. <laughs> it it was it was very sad. It was very lions. And it brought me probably more joy than it should have, but you know, who's to say? Who's to say? Uh, we're gonna be back tomorrow. Uh, with a lot more here, bear stuff and then lion stuff. And of course, all the latest on what's going on in the NFL. If there is breaking news, if Washington announces a new name, I don't know if you saw that, but Washington is no longer going to be the Redskins. They're going to be something else. I have not said Redskins on this show in a long time. And, and I think the reasons for that are obvious. So I'm glad that they're going to be something else. I'm glad that I can call them by a mascot that is not so ugly. More importantly, though, Packers updates could be forthcoming. And those are those are more relevant to you. So we're going to get to all of that. Reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920 341-3775 to stay locked on back.